This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 35. This episode features Malik Connard So, actor, filmmaker, and a good friend of mine. We talked about acting. We talked about filmmaking, movies. We talked about things that were going on in the world. We did this interview about a month ago. Um, and we just talked about general things in general. And we talked about Malik's film, Out There, which I actually was in, um, which is in post-production right now. So we talked about that. It was good catching up with Malik. Uh, he's a really smart, talented dude. I always enjoy talking with him. So this is Malik Connard So. Let's have a conversation. Yeah, how you doing, Malik? I'm doing very well, Alec. How are you? Good, good. So, uh, you were just saying they got the kids out um, as the latest? Yeah, um, just before we um, began transmission here, um, I was looking on my phone and they got um, those um, the, the, the kids from Thailand out of that cave, which is really, really cool to hear. I mean, it's been a long process, um, so... It was really cool also to hear that Elon Musk was going to get involved too. It was telling you that's kind of like Bruce Wayne using his gadgets to get <laughs> to help uh, to, to to help the little kids. So I thought it was like a real life superhero story. Yeah. Um yeah, it's an interesting thing with how much kind of corporate control is like mm-hmm. it's been happening for years I think in the country but like kind of uh the corporate takeover of government. Yeah. Um, and I like, I know we've talked about it, but I felt like Bernie Sanders in uh, 2016, I really felt at the time. And I think it's, you know, I don't know what happens after this, but I felt at the time, uh, his campaign and, um, not relying on like the big private, um, corporate donations and doing like grassroots, um, fundraising sure. of like people. Um, I thought it was like, it felt like a last, like kind of final chance to like get somebody in the highest office, not beholden to like, to these special interests. Well, I don't know about fi- final chance. I mean, I think that that was the igniting kind of spark for uh, revolutionary campaigns that we're going to see. Uh, come out of uh, the woodwork. I mean, look at this uh, young woman that just got, you know, uh, just got a seat. I think that it's, there can only be more um, people to start adopting his policies as well as the, the you know, the, the DNC as well. I mean, I don't think that they have a choice in the matter now because he has become so popular that they're going to have no choice but to adopt some of his, you know, platform. Yeah. I do, though, wonder now, like, um, there's just such major rifts in the country. Like, I don't know what the answer is. And I I, I think ultimately, to me, uh, the two-party system ultimately um, is a joke right now. Um, On on both sides, uh, there's just division within division. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, with... The woman who just won in New York. What's her name again? Um, oh, damn it. I never... Like, I always face it. Um, but, uh, well, we'll, we'll yeah, find We have cellular technology yeah. that we'll look into. But, um, like, there's all these articles about how... Well, the articles are either that the DNC should embrace the change, which I definitely agree, and other people are like, if the DNC embraces this socialist agenda mm-hmm. it's doomed for dmc which again is like the issue of like I'm, I'm imagining sean hannity talking about it just like look at the dnc and the you know like you know embrace of of socialism well he is <laughs> but then i see like centrist democrats also sure. like doing that and that's the same thing that they did in 2016 and mm-hmm. the problem there is um that i feel like if it is two parties then 
fine. Like the Republicans can have the extreme right and they have centrists. You have people leaving the Republican party now though, because it's getting too extreme. Right. Yeah. You have people actually leaving that party. Um, whereas like there's still a lot of Democrats who are saying, no, we need to stay centrist. And Mm -hmm. it's to, to ignore like the, if the voice of the, you know, I don't even think it's extreme left. I think it appears extreme left. Um, because the country as a whole, I think, like, the the center line has been pulled to the right. I think what we're seeing on the, the, uh, on the DNC side, you know, particularly is kind of like um, what happened during that election was um, for as corrupt as, you know, Trump in, and, you know, slimy as he might be, I think that what they did to Bernie Sanders should be a permanent black mark on their record um, and, and solidify the ultimate form of corruption um, that he and ultimately gives him credence where he's like the whole thing is rigged. You know what I mean? Um, it gives Donald Trump credence, credence to, to what yeah. he's saying about that. Um, well, he, I mean, he played on it. Yeah, exactly. Even though he's dealing with like the ultimate Worse. forms of, con- you know, yeah. corruption within, you know, the, the Trump uh, campaign. But um, it's it's almost as if it's like another time where like people were really buying into this candidate, Bernie Sanders and the. Democrats were basically like, well, we don't really care about the voice of the people. We yeah. care about like the voice of special interest. That's certainly you know? how it felt. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about it, that, like, you know, and it's like, we have to, we have to move forward. I don't think it's just about moving on. We have to move forward. I think it's because some people <laughs> like, uh, there's still the debate. There's still, you know, a lot of pain and anger over that election. Um, and but people forget like with uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton in two thousand eight, that was a painful, contentious primary as well. Yeah. Um, people forget just how nasty that got at a certain point. Yeah, it looked like they hated each other at a certain point. It was very, very, um, it was very cutthroat towards like you know when he actually got the nomination of the party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing to me, one major thing was the whole superdelegate thing, mm-hmm. the whole way that played out, um, which it's not like they... So here's the thing. that That is, I guess, the way it was set up. Like, it was set up that way, which is different than the way the, the Republicans do things um, in their primaries. Um, but with, yeah, the DNC and the superdelegates... Uh, like I get it, but I feel like the superdelegates should sort of work like the electoral college so that if you're in a state and the majority of the people vote one way, the superdelegates should go the way the people actually mm-hmm. voted. And that's just not how it worked. That's yeah, not how the it... illusion of choices, they say, you know what yeah. I mean? That's essentially what we're dealing with right now. And like what I thought was really messed up is then with... Hillary Clinton getting the popular vote, but losing the electoral college because of the math. And because that's the way the electoral college works. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of like Democrats cried foul that we need to change the electoral college. And it's like anybody who was in the Bernie Sanders camp, it's like, well, wait a second. You didn't have a problem within your own party on how like the primaries and like the superdelegates happen. So it's very hypocritical to then turn around and want to call for changing the electoral college if you're not willing to like play fair within your own party. So in your own opinion, moving forward, what do you think that, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but what do you think that we need to do? Because they're going to have to find somebody that's really good to go against him. I mean, I was talking with uh, a friend the other day and we were kind of like, yeah, I think he could definitely pull it off if he wanted to for Bernie 2020. Sanders? No, 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 I'm saying Trump, I think, oh, could pull it off for 2020. Danger. Yeah, you know, because his base... The problem is, is the same people that voted for him uh, in that last election are not leaving him. You know, that basically, he can be as gross as possible and say... He could literally go out on t- television tomorrow and say the N-word, and they probably would not... Nobody would care. He's, like that, like you know, Tom Arnold's. Tom yeah. Arnold's like saying all this stuff about like I have tapes of him like saying like you know the N word. I'm like, well, if all of this other shit that he has said like hasn't gotten him like hasn't made his you know base deviate from him, like what really is? Nothing. You think it's gonna matter? Like no. you know, 
So they, they got to get somebody good. I mean, I think um, the thing, though, is I think the answer is to support like the young kids from like the Parkland, um, the survivors yeah. of that shooting who are super inspirational. Yeah, they're um, great. Empowering themselves and getting involved. Uh, and they're they're going to do a massive voter campaign. And I think that's what we what we need is open. We need a more open uh primary system but just a more open voting system it should be easier for people to vote like it's supposed to be technically under the law um you're not supposed to be able to get fired for voting yeah i'm sure that people do or are strongly discouraged depending on their job you know sometimes they they can't get out and the the way voting happens um, i've always said they should make it a national like holiday voter voter you know voter uh electoral day or whatever something like that like just where people actually it's your civic duty so because it's your civic duty i think that you should be allowed the proper you know tools to be able to let your voice be heard as a voter in this country um but yeah i mean then it's also up to debate whether you know they want people to vote like on a certain day well that's the thing i think both i mean i think the republicans have a long track track record of uh voter disenfranchisement Mm -hmm. however i think that the democrats in certain areas actually this kind of happened with um the woman who won in new york recently um she was outspent like 10 to 1 uh they split the primaries partially like so so there were some things voted on that day and then there were other things going to be voted on another and part of the reason that's done is to like if you're an incumbent you don't want massive voter turn. You want your regular turnout. Right. So there's things that like politicians on both sides do to manipulate and sometimes discourage voter turnout. And I think that's come back to bite us in the ass, like as a whole country, like left and right. Um, you know, if, if we have fair and open, and honest elections and the election process is fair and open and we end up with Donald Trump like (laughs) that, that saddens me. Um, that upsets me, but ultimately if that's what people vote for, um, I support, I really do support the idea of democracy if it's fair and open. Um, what I don't support is voter disenfranchisement, um, that that's what I don't you know support. So, I think, to me, like I don't I don't know what the future is of the DNC or the Republican Party. You know, um, I I I wish, yeah, I wish we didn't have the two party system. In the meantime, like I'll stay registered as a Democrat and get involved with things, but definitely like I'm I'm also like sort of involved with the Working Families Party, which runs, it's like its own party, but they mainly run Democrats, but who could also, it's kind of its own party, but they run Democrats on a very progressive Mm -hmm. um, platform. You think Bernie will run again? Yeah, I think he's kind of announced it, right? He he said he wasn't ruling it out, but apparently there was a secret meeting between Obama and all of the potentials for yeah. 2020, and he was one of the people Maybe that Maybe that's I met what with. I heard about. I think he, yeah, I think he will. Um, I'd be very surprised if he would not. I think right mm-hmm. now he's definitely the front runner in my mind. Him and Biden, for sure. Yeah. They're um, both about the same age, too. Does the age, uh, you know, bother you that he's like 78, you know, no. and he's taking that job? No. Um because he seems like he was his yeah. campaign style was like in and of itself was inspirational. He would do a speech for, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know the numbers, but like thousands of people, yeah. like a full Coliseum, full stadium. Um, and there was like spillover outside. So he would do the whole speech inside and then he would come outside after this speech 
and then do the entire speech again to the crowd outside that couldn't get in to the official place. Yeah. He would do this over and over again. I think again. he only slept like three hours a night or something too. Like he, he was kind of like, that's the same amount of time Batman sleeps. Like, you know, I got to go and fight crime. It's my second Batman uh, reference today. But yeah, it was, he was a really uh, inspirational candidate for sure. Um, yeah. He's got to get a good running. I think that, you know, what I, was great about him was that he was a good counterpuncher for Trump. Mm-hmm. I'm not a person that at this at this point in the game that, you know, we have this incredibly brash and, you know, sort of brazen leader right now. I think that we need to have somebody that is willing to, you know, fight back just as hard, you know. And I'm, somebody who strikes a chord with, like, a populist uh, sentimentality. Yeah. Like, I think it's Somebody a needs to really speak to these people, um, these, you know, forgotten people that we've heard about, like, you know, for so long, just to be like, look, like... You want to put your faith in, you know, a guy that, you know, is so-called working for the working class of this country that has never known, this is the first job, like, that he's ever, like, I think John Oliver said it best when he's like, this is the first job he's ever had to apply for in his life. Like, you know, what does a elitist one percenter with, like, a golden toilet on his private jet know anything about the working class, you know? And I think that there does need to be somebody like, you know, when you look at Bernie's uh, childhood home... It's like this small kind of like apartment complex in Greenpoint, you know, Brooklyn. And then you look at Trump's childhood home. I mean, which of these two people are going to understand the working class more? And I'm not saying that it necessarily has to be Bernie, but there needs to be somebody that really does understand that struggle and can really speak to not only them, but to all Americans. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, four years. So like in the final few years of, uh, Barack Obama's presidency, I remember somebody asking me who I thought like the next Democratic candidate would be. Mm -hmm. And my guess at the time was Hillary Clinton, just because I didn't see anybody else on the field who, you know, I I had a feeling she was going to run again. Like, I mean, it was pretty much known she was going to run again the whole, all of Barack Obama's administration. Um, And I didn't, I didn't know Bernie Sanders before that, you know, that campaign cycle. And when I first heard of him, I thought he was too good to be true. You know, mm-hmm. kind of, I've, I've heard of candidates like this before. And then when I get into them, like they didn't resonate with me with Bernie. It was like the more I learned about him, the more I was like, yeah, that's, that's the person who inspires me. That's mm-hmm. in line with like what I believe. And you can go back to like 30 years in his career. You can go, his whole career was, is consistent with the same message and platform that he runs on today, you know? And that's, that's amazing. And he's one of the only politicians I've seen whose favorability goes up with people the more they know him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most people slip. Is he still, with all the polls, he's like the most popular still. candidate in America. Yeah. 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 So it's, and, th- and that was the case back in the 2016 election too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so it's to me right now, he's the logical choice. Now I think again, we need to have a, we should have a primary and different people should run and their voices should be heard. They should debate and we should see, you know what I mean? Like it should be up to the will of the people. I also think we need to really start hearing each other too. I mean, now <clears throat> we have, you know, candidates like Clinton too, that was, saying like, you know, 50% of the Trump base are uh, the basket of deplorables. And I'm, I'm, you know, like me personally, like I have a very strained relationship with, you know, Trump supporters and trying to understand why they did what they did. But I would never say something like that when I was trying to get their votes. I mean, there's, 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 there's this inability even with candidates to understand the other. There's no center point anymore. You can't be the person that's like, oh, well, I'm just a logical, reasonable guy or gal trying to see what makes sense the most. It's like, no, I'm either hard left or hard right. Right. So we need somebody that is able to, I think, not necessarily adopt policies, but able to communicate to both ends of the political spectrum. Well, and one of the major things I think that Trump did, now I think he's a charlatan in many ways, but he's He's a he's a shark, and so he 
tapped into something that the DNC was tone deaf to. Mm -hmm. um, not like Bernie would tap into the same thing, which is, um, like you said, um, a lot of people feel left behind and feel like the system isn't working for them properly. Um, now, both of them, Bernie Sanders and Trump, tapped into that anger and appealed to people. Uh, Bernie appealed to like the hope and kind of a, he, he appealed to changing things, like tangible things within the system that would more be benefit people. And Trump tapped into the anger and manipulated the anger and, you know, yeah. kind of fanned the fire of hate in some ways. But, but he did tap into people's anger, whereas I think the DNC kind of the party line was like, no, 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 things are actually working. You need to let the system work. And it's like, there are people, and you know, sure, I think there are people who, there are white supremacists, there are people who are on some, you know, homophobia, some Islamophobia things, just some xenophobia issues, just kind of more hateful, like are more in that. I don't think it's fifty percent of Trump voters, but I do think there there's a percentage. I think I like to think it's a small percentage, um, and I do think what's happening is fanning that, and that thing is growing. But as far as the extreme, I think there's, I like I like to hope it's a smaller percentage. I do think there are people who are complicit, like kind of know that aspect and are still supporting things that they shouldn't uh, for their own. I don't know, tribalistic, uh, views. Um, but yeah, like the, the fact is that a lot of people in middle America feel left behind, felt left behind and aren't stupid. So when you tell them, no, things are, are working and trust us, we know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And the person is suffering economically and, you know, lack, lack of opportunity, and the system really is failing these people and you're telling them to trust you and you're not addressing that something's wrong, then yeah, you have a tone deaf message. And then somebody else who's at least acknowledging, he might be playing you, but he's acknowledging yeah. your pain, you know? And I think ultimately playing people, but he acknowledged it, you know? That was kind of the central driving force of out there too, was just to understand not only understand, you know, the um, the sort of um, the Trump voter, but also just like the far leftist too, like, you know, and how there is this divide. It's a movie about a clash of cultures. And like, there is one character in the film where, um, for, uh, we're segueing, so, sorry, talking right. right into the mic there. Um, we're segueing just a little bit um, I have a new film coming out um, called Out There, which is about uh, monster hunters in the Northeast. Um, and one of them happens to be, you know, a Trump supporter. And he's talking about, you know, why he's looking for this creature, the chupacabra, which is a famous, you know, beast of American and Mexican kind of lore. And I'm like, well, why are you doing this? And he's just like, well, if we kill this thing, everybody's going to pay attention to our town because they haven't for so many years. Um, and then I ask, you know, why'd you vote for Trump? You know, and that's essentially the same answer. If like Trump gets elected, people are going to finally pay attention to this part of the world. And that's kind of where I thought like one of the central heartbeats of the movie was, was, you know, yeah, not all of them are like, you know, tiki torch wielding psychos. Like, you know, there are just some honest people that just, you know, when they hear somebody go on TV, you know, propose radical ideas, you know, they'll buy into it because they're ang angry and rightfully so because the system has failed them. So, yeah. Yeah. So when did you uh, start writing out there? I wrote it right. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting how it came about. Um, I started um, thinking about right after the election, uh, as we all were, I was trying to make sense of this. So I sent out a massive kind of like email to people and reached out to a bunch of Trump voters just because I wanted to understand, not from a place of bias, but just understand why they casted their vote for who they did. Um, 
so I got a lot of, you know, emails just about what we were talking about. Like, you know, there's, there, you know, economic prosperity in this country is failing. You know, there's no jobs. But then I also got like the really hateful emails, just like we got to get the Mexicans out and we got to, you know, get the travel ban going on so the Muslims aren't here. So I got kind of bored. I'm like, you know, it's the same, you know, kind of typical stuff and we're not learning anything new. But um, there was a good 10%, Alec, and, you know, a good 10% too many, I, I would say, that were like um, the Infowars kind of like tribe that were like, Trump is going to do something about Bigfoot. And I was just like, uh, okay, you know, we're going to follow this avenue for sure because this is the most interesting stuff I've heard all day. And yeah, there's this huge um, group of people, not just Trump voters, but just people that, you know, have dedicated their lives to hunting UFOs, Bigfoot, you know, all of these things. Like, you know, I think the world's biggest uh, Sasquatch convention is in Ohio. And it's just like, yeah, people compare notes about like, you know, what traps they're going to set and like how the the Sasquatch is also a shapeshifter and how we need to watch out for that. So I'm like, all right, well, this is no longer a documentary. There's a really interesting story here. So I formulated it uh, as a period piece, as the, you know, 2016 election is happening. It takes place right around then. And my character in the film uh, is this kind of like, you know, elitist sort of trustafarian from New York that works for a Vice News-esque kind of column that goes down to make this hit piece about these, this small town, it's a made up part of America, kind of like Twin Peaks, it's called Little Water USA, uh, where there are three sets of, you know, uh, families essentially, uh, individuals essentially, the last person's not really a family unit, but um, there's a person that, there's a family of Trump supporters that are looking for El Chupacabra, there, um, is a married couple, uh, which you'll talk to me about in just a second, um, of UFO hunters. Uh, and then there, I don't want to pick favorites, but he's quite a good character, an evangelical preacher that is hunting a Jersey Devil type uh, monster. And that's all I'll say there because I want people to see the movie. But um, yeah, did you want to chime in on uh, uh, well, uh, Roger Buttersworth? Yeah, I played Roger Buttersworth. <laughs> um, UFO scholar slash defender um, yeah. of extraterrestrial yeah um, patriot yeah <laughs> uh blue book mm -hmm. um, yeah so did you have fun yeah yeah um yeah that was a interesting character and i think it was a good character to play at that time like roger was going through a lot of things <laughs> um they kind of paralleled some things that I've just you know sometimes you come to crossroads in your life um and so roger was dealing with aliens um i to my knowledge uh my issues were not extraterrestrial in nature in in real life trying to protect the world from an alien you know alien threat mm -hmm. um, you know the usual kind yeah. of things you worry about <laughs> and still going through you know the day-to-day -day things right. dealing with issues with his marriage i think it's easy to look at look at people like an alien hunter is an extreme um a chupacabra hunter is an extreme mm -hmm. uh televangelists are extremes and you know there's definitely a lot of televangelists who I have a problem with what they, with what I see them doing. Sure. Um, there's a lot of politicians who have problems with what I see them doing. And I think they need to be held accountable for what they're doing in the public eye and in the public sector supposed to be representing people. Um, same with financial institutions and, you know, people in those, those different fields who are having massive impact. Um, a lot of corruption in a lot of cases, a lot of breaking of law. Like the 2008 financial crisis, the crazy thing about it is a lot of those people of power in like the financial sector, a lot of people broke a lot of laws and were not held accountable. Like they broke the law yeah. to the detriment of millions of people. Um, 
stole from millions of people, um, not only weren't held accountable, but were uh, oftentimes given bonuses through it. <laughs> like, so, but it's easy to look at those people and kind of, you know, th- like what they did, those things were wrong. But I think it's important to realize that they're still people. Um, there are still things about them and their personal lives that we don't know about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that's the complicated thing of humans. You can well, be. I, I do think that it's also interesting that, you know, for all of the people that Trump has vilified and attacked um, uh, and, you know, whether it be, you know, black people or Mexicans, Muslims, um, the ones that he's talked about the most have been uh sort of e- the uh, white sort of elite. He, it's been very interesting to hear him talk about that, like corporate America. And I think that this was music to the ears of, you know, like the characters in my movie, essentially. It's just like, you know, finally there's somebody, you know, telling it like it is when, when of they course he's actually, to see he's part of the yeah, problem, you know? Is, yeah, <laughs> part of the corporate elite. Like he is... And he's one of those characters who, for years, you know, that's the people who voted for him on, like, well, he's a good businessman. He'll no, run a, he's I'm not from good, New York, dude. He went bankrupt, not, like, yeah. multiple times. <laughs> he is a good showman. Like, I got to give him that. Like, he has manipulated the, the media. He has played it like a fiddle. Like, out of Penguin, out of Go mm-hmm. Back to the Batman references... Yeah, he's, he's not dumb. He's I mean, that's what a lot of people have said. He's like an idiot, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Even the idiotic things that he says, you know, I think that he times them. My theory is, is that he times them for every like, you know, couple times like a month. He'll say something outrageous just to keep traction going attention. and attention, you know, and he's he, he, CNN also like hates Trump, but they helped create him. Like I yeah. never saw anything of what. Bernie was saying, or even Hillary, really, it was all really about him, and they trumped him up, you know, pun yeah. intended, you know what I mean? Um, so it's interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, we can criticize him all we want, but he's winning right now. We've got to do something to, you know, push back because it's definitely the darkest time I've seen in my lifetime, for sure. Yeah. Um, and that's- but also remember to laugh, which was, you know, a big thing of what I wanted to do with this. It's like, People also just need to look at the absurdity of the situation. And, you know, I think with any piece of good commentary, there has to be comedy infused into it. So uh, particularly in times like this. So hopefully people will laugh and also take something away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what are the plans like for the movie now? Well, we're looking at the Bushwick Open Studios. Um, That's what we were talking about. Um, so probably roughly around that time. Um, but we're, like I said, we're also looking at, uh, the Coney Island Film Festival, which will be great. It's a perfect venue to show the, uh, movie in. Um, and then once we get into the film festival circuit, that's when all of the, you know, uh, distribution and all that will start. But, uh, the Bushwick area, I just want people to come and see it for free and, you know, kind of get feedback and everything. Um, so if you're in the area and if you're, at all interested in what we've had to talk about today, please come on down. We'd love to love to have you. Yeah. Come on down. Come on down. <laughs> Little Water Bushwick. Little Water Bushwick, you gonna come on down, we're gonna watch a movie. <laughs> um do you have any plans for future movies right now? Yeah. Um I actually just talked about what my next project is with a collaborator of mine and my Next film will not be about America. Well, in part, will be about America, but um, this next movie is all about my dad's uh, homeland and my, you know, heritage in Africa. Uh, we're going there to film it in about seven months. Um, but it's really a, a, you know, deviating away from what I did in this last film, which was very West centric, and be more about what the uh, what the East has given the West, particularly Africa has given the West, and what the West owes, you know. The African continent, yeah, the the shithole continent, as uh, Trump, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh, funny how respo- res- the shithole countries are all black and brown people, and um, the immigration crisis is all black and brown people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's a lot of European immigrants also, like illegal immigrants True. also. Um, but that's not, I'm not really seeing that major issue being brought up enough of like the, the European influx. Sure. You know? Um, to be fair too, I mean, it, it, it's, there's certainly not as many, I guess in his view, Nor Norwegians that are coming here illegally. Like there is a huge surge from Mexico and all the people coming up from South America, Guatemala, but I don't understand why if you were um, one of the most wealthy and powerful nations on earth and you shared, a, you know, essentially a border and, you know, like you're connected to this other country, why you would spend so many, you know, resources building a wall around that when you can easily help it the Mexican government try and change? Like it doesn't, the, it doesn't make sense. Like financially, the, this immigration policy the wall, um, the no tolerance policy of asylum. Like a lot of these people are asylum seekers, by the way, coming yeah. from really rough places, trying to seek asylum, Absolutely. which is supposed to be kind of like international law. And traditionally the U S was a beacon to the world where people could come and you could seek asylum. Like yes. that, that's a thing. Um, and we're shutting that, that down and it's costing way more like then it's it's not saving money it's not saving lives like it's hurting lives don't you find it interesting that all of the conflicts that we've had in the middle east has been to liberate those people like where's the liberation for the people of mexico who are like right next to us you know what i mean like if you're gonna use that excuse that can't that can't go unchecked for our own backyard you know yeah and i understand like you know people don't really realize that America was born upon, you know, isolationists, you know, sort of values. Like, unless somebody messes with us, it's not our problem. Like, you know, but I think that if you're going to make the excuse that you want to liberate another country, you need to really look at what's going on in our own backyard because yeah. it is catastrophic, you know? Yeah, I don't really buy the liberating other countries, though, either. No, it's you know, no like I don't believe the, it either, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think... I, th I think countries should be anti-interventionist in general. Absolutely. Like, I think there's a point, like, obviously, like, in World War II, where you have a megalomaniac, totalitarian uh, rise of power with the agenda. Hey, man, to, even in that, it took till Pearl Harbor it, for exactly. us to even do anything, you know? I mean, but... But, like, at that point, you know, I think there are points when it's not that never, but I do think... Like it's, it's with Mexico, there needs to be something done because it's actually affecting American life. You know what I mean? I think that if you have a legitimate problem with what's going on, you would be able to see that building a wall is not in any way conducive to fixing the I problem. I don't think walls like those cartel members are going to find a way over that wall. Like you know, forge yeah. visas and like passports. Like it's same shit's going to be happening. I mean, but, the thing with the, the cartels is like the CI. Like we have to clean again then house at home because the CIA has decades of ties with the cartels oh, and yeah. stuff. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's not just a problem of like the Mexican cartels. It's we've been involved sure. since the beginning. Like we've had a little hand in everything too. Yeah. Like a lot of those, you know, weapons that, you know, Middle Eastern extremists have right now is because we sold them to, there's, there's a know? great <laughs> speaking of movies there's a great movie that talks about um kind of the u.s involvement it's called iron man yeah like weapons <laughs> dealing <laughs> it's true though like even in even in that movie they like that's one of the central issues in the beginning is yeah. private arms dealers like american private arms dealers sure um and then where these weapons end up and how they're used, you know? Like, did you see um, the Sicario sequel yet? I haven't. It's, I mean, I got a lot of flack because there are certain, like the first 10 minutes of it, definitely, I think uh, one Who, review. Who's in this again? Benicio Del yeah, Toro okay. and Josh Brolin. Um, and there was a really great film critic, uh, critic that was saying that it almost feels like the first 10 minutes 
you will kind of think that it's almost like Trump and, you know, you know, Stephen Miller's, you know, kind of like wet dream as like a propaganda film. And if you're watching it like in the first 10 minutes and you really don't stick around for what the rest of the movie is about, like you'll be essentially, you know, missing a great film. Mm-hmm. But it, it's those movies have definitely been from a fictitious perspective, one of the more interesting commentaries on the American sort of Mexican drug crisis that I've seen in recent years. It's really good. You should go and see it. Yeah, yeah. definitely want to. Um, big fan of both of those guys. Yeah, those are powerhouse actors. Yeah, probably both in my top ten of yeah. um, actors that I don't know. You know, because I'm also a big fan of of my friends. Big fan of you, man. Thank you. <laughs> um, and how about acting for you, man? What's what's uh what's up with that? Well, right now, I mean, I'm finishing up this movie, so that's been kind of where all my attention has been. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I hope to do acting again. I mean, th- for viewers that don't know, me and Alec also acted opposite each other on um, on stage. So I'm hoping to do some more theater work and maybe even write for the theater as well. But um, right now, all my attention's kind of focused on the movies. But for sure, acting is... Acting is definitely another love of mine and want to get back on that as soon as I can. Yeah. And how did you, you're now you're born and raised in New York, right? Yep. Born and raised. Um, so when did acting and filmmaking, how did that come to be for you? Well, I was, always, I always loved movies. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. always kind of grew up sort of a weird sort of isolated kind of kid and what when you hear about a lot of these filmmakers they usually do they kind of in that isolation they kind of find the television screen yeah um and yeah i mean it was around 11 it's hardly original but we i went to go and see uh lord of the rings um and it kind of it wasn't necessarily the movie but i bought the box set of it yeah but um, there were all these stories about all these different people that like made the movie, and I th- thought that was way more interesting than the movie itself. Like yeah. you know that all of this had to come from one creator's head. So that kind of set me on the path. And I thought at uh, age eleven that I was going to make the next great epic. We tried doing um, King Arthur and the Round Table with uh, a bunch of eleven-year-olds uh, with plastic swords, and I believe that the catering service were peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the acting and you know movie making route. For I sure. also have uh, some eleven-year-old, or actually one of the big credits was uh, my thirteen-year-old uh, production credit of uh, the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. Oh, sweet! Did you play mm-hmm. Scrooge? I did in one iteration. Nice. Because <laughs> um, we got like about halfway through and then took a break and then didn't come back to it for a long time. And so then redid it again a year later um, and like recast everything. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. Who's the second ghost that comes to visit him in that? Uh, well, Marley's first and then it's the ghost of Christmas past and then uh, present. Present. I can see you as the ghost of... Christmas present for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's what I was gonna do the second time around. Because you've got a big voice, man. It's and that character is written as like a very like big kind of like Santa jolly Claus. Santa Claus like yeah. Father Christmas esque. I think and you could totally if you were to do a production of that now, I could totally even see you doing that. Yeah, um, something to think about for your you know oh yeah theater company. I'd definitely yeah. <laughs> do uh, a Christmas Carol at some point in my life. I'd love to do that. It's like a play, so yeah, kind of, that's something my mom took me and my brother to, like, that was like our yearly Christmas tradition was seeing that story. Yeah. Which, I think there's something, even about that, like, just sort of on my views, like, my, like, I'm not really religious, I would say. Yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not religious, Um. but I do, you know, again, like, like personally, my take on religion and like religious texts, running the play we did dealt with this too. But I think there's a lot of beautiful things like in sure. Christianity and Islam and Hinduism and like all the great um, religions, new and old. I think there's like a lot of wisdom there. Um, it's the structures around them, the the systems around them that I that turned me off televangelism being one of them. Yeah. And like televangelism in particular, because like a Christmas Carol, 
Um, of course, it's a Dickens book, and he had this theme kind of running. But uh, it's all about the redemption of an old miser who's like mm-hmm. greedy and selfish, you know, and missing kind of the point of life of human connection and yeah. caring about other people. Um, In Hinduism, they call that Maya, essentially being too connected to um, the material world, mm. um, uh, a slave to the material world, which yeah. is essentially what Scrooge, he's kind of like the Donald Trump of that era, essentially. And I yeah. sort of feel like in a way, um, also us as Americans in sure. general kind of are all that too. We're a slave to material possessions. Um we're a slave to these things. I, I think, again, we were talking about it earlier, like for all the bad happening right now, I think we are having to, people are being forced to con- confront kind of the, the soul of who we are as a, as a nation, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to make this parallel and I don't think I'm really drawing a parallel, but maybe I am, you know, fuck it. But, um, it was really interesting having lived through, I was less than half a mile away from 9-11 when it did happen. Yeah. And what was so interesting about that was that it was the wake of, um, in the wake of a natural, not a natural disaster, a disaster, a man-made disaster, all of these people, New Yorkers started, you know, rallying around each other. You know, firefighters were, you know, applauded and, you know, like, and we were very much united through this incredibly, like, you know, horrendous tragedy yeah now um after the election um i did notice new yorkers all kind of had that same kind of sullen like pale white kind of like expression that i did see after 9-11 i'm not saying that both of these things are mutually exclusive i'm just saying that it was a a tragedy for a lot of new yorkers because we're a very progressive sort of society that believes in um, equality and, you know, moving forward and, and, you know, I think that Trump is kind of like a disaster that is going to bring a lot of people together from the left and the right. You know, he's kind of like the squid at the end of Watchmen, if you've ever read it before, like the big disaster that's going to bring everybody together. Somebody also said, I think it might've been Joe Rogan was talking about that. It's also... Like, no matter where you fall on it, like, nobody thought Trump was going to be elected. Nope. And so the other silver lining of it is that a lot of people who maybe never thought of it before are like, well, maybe I can be president. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, I think, a good thing. Like, I I do think, um, like, the whole thing about who's qualified to be president, like, I, I think people should be educated. I think, you know, people should, but at the end of the day, like, if it's a democracy, anybody should actually be able to be. Now, does that mean that everybody should? No, absolutely No, but not. it means... Oprah for president 2020. <laughs> yeah, but, like, and anybody, um, but from any background, I think it's important that... Now, the thing is, this is... Not like I think Barack Obama was interesting because he didn't come from a super wealthy family and he's a black man like, you know, and he was able to to win. Like that was an amazing thing. Yeah, I don't I think that was more amazing than Trump because Trump ultimately is uh comes from a wealthy family and he was in everybody's living rooms too you know he managed to you know everybody knew who he was. So he had that advantage. But this. Senator from Chicago, who I don't think anybody had really heard of before, was speaking to uh, was speaking to America in a way that they didn't hear before. So, but it's interesting. It's like John Stewart said; he was saying, like, you know, the same country that elected him elected Trump. Yeah. So it's interesting to see, you know, and that's where it went wrong and what happened. But but also like that's what this country is like. It's you know yeah, what I mean. Like I think definitely a lot of people and still people. You know, it's like, we're a nation of immigrants. And it's like, yes, definitely uh, white people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, if you're talking about black and brown people, um, immigrant 
is not the accurate historical word on. Yeah, where I think we it's come really from. interesting. They're like these, like Hannity or like you know who uh, uh, Tucker Carlson will talk about, like oh, these surge of like you know immigrants coming here, like destroying our way of life. It's just like. I got my Standing Rock t-shirt on right yeah. now. It's just like, what do you think that these native indigenous people were thinking as there were waves of these white settlers coming over there, butchering them and their children? Like, yeah. what was what was their, like, what, did you see, did they see us as extremists as well? Like, did they see us as national security? I, I think they did. Yeah. So people really need to put in perspective, you know, just how we see America, you know, as it is right now and what that essentially means, you know. And also, like, I'm a firm believer that I'm a citizen of the world, world yeah. you know, um, and I think, I think that's the, the future. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily, like, I think it's a little bit sad that I predict over time with technology. Um, I think with technology connecting the entire world um there's there is going to be a melting pot that happens yeah um if we don't destroy ourselves in the environment in the meantime um i I do think there's going to be like it's already happening when you travel now versus if you traveled 20 years ago versus 40 years ago um like pretty much as an American, anywhere you go in the world, most places speak English. There are places where they don't, Mm -hmm. but there are many, many places where you go. Um, and even like English isn't the, the native tongue. It's the second language of a lot of places. It's kind of the international language. Um, and people are aware and consume American pop culture internationally and we also now like there's much more of a cultural exchange happening through technology internationally um which i think is a good thing ultimately like brexit for example i think was a huge detriment for for britain especially young people absolutely yeah for options to go like you know if you can't find work in your not just local town not just local country you can go to other european countries and and work like that that's what the eu did and i think i'd like to see that happen more globally personally you know what i mean i think open borders and Mm -hmm. free exchange of ideas and thoughts and innovation i think that that's how you build a bright future not I think it's int- I mean this not these walls. are all great yeah these are all great things and I'm cert- as I was just saying I'm certainly not for walls but there are definitely as we stand now um it, unfortunately there are um cultures that you know conflict with e- each other's ideologies and views and parts of the world that hate each other like so I right now I don't think that that's feasible. You know what I mean? Like whether we like to admit it or not, like there are groups in the Middle East that just their entire their entire way of life has been like, how do we kill American infidels and stuff? Yeah, but just I just like you know on this side, like you I know, how do we kill these like you know terrorists? I think that as we stand, we're just so divided that we can't. But I think people that um, if there's like a whole region or. But I don't think I don't think it's a whole I think it's extremists in any yeah. region actually. But um even if there was a whole if you could show me a whole region where that was the case, where the idea was that America was the enemy, my first question is how is that region doing economically? Like are they Good point. super yeah. impoverished and are they partially impoverished, um or not partially, but are they largely is it because of American foreign policy yeah. that they're in these dire situations? Because I think you put anybody in desperate situations, you're going to have people that, you know, are susceptible to extreme Yeah, it's like these really impoverished ideas. people, like Nazis in America, complaining about how the Jews run everything. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, it's just like they need a scapegoat for, you know, their own sort of... Oppress people, make people suffer, make people um, hurt, make people angry, then it's easy to to play on their anger, their hurt, their pain, their suffering. It's easy to manipulate people when they're already 
in a depressed, like oppressed position, you know? Yeah. It says the, one of the biggest events and cataclysmic events in history, which was, you know, the, uh, rise of the rise of the third Reich essentially was born through that. Yeah. And I'm really, really worried because this guy's got way too many parallels with, you know, Hitlerian sort of like, you know, doctrine and xenophobia, xenophobia. And making the other the enemy i mean if you also his whole problem with the press it's just like like lugenpresse uh, is the word for lying i believe lying jewish press um i mean there's a ton of other things like you know the way he even speaks about like oh like you know roosevelt had four terms why can't i like you know his he's way too close with and cozy with putin who is a uh, murdering bastard so i think that that like this I isn't a joke anymore you know yeah. it's really it's really really quite scary yeah it is yeah. um yeah it <laughs> it really is and i think it's important to keep talking about things and keep doing things and um not get discouraged to where you just zone out you know because yeah. things are happening to where i think it's important to stay awake and keep the conversation going at least but like get involved however you however you can one thing that's good that came out of it is that it's the most politically active i've seen america in years man like in years like people out in the streets um, trying to see calling out, um, in, you know, injustice where they see it. And I'm glad that it's happening, but I'm just really sad to see that it happened. So, so late in the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I don't really, I, I don't know what else I can do. I mean, I'm a filmmaker, but I, this next movie I'm hoping will, while there's a lot of poop and, you know, fart jokes in it, like, I hope that, you know, it will definitely have people talking about how we see one another and how we treat one another in, in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, where's the best place for people to find you and, like, interact with you? Okay. So I'm on uh, Instagram. That's one place to find me on Facebook, for sure. Um, I've heard I'm, these are pretty... Pretty yeah, yeah, they're they're interesting, like little things. startup companies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find me on those pieces of social media, and um, I have a website that's going to be um, up and running pretty soon. Uh, just my name on a website. Um, and do you have any? And is your? I mean, I know your Facebook is your name. Is your Instagram just your name? Or yeah, it's pretty. I'm the only Malik Conrad. So on Facebook, you can find uh, on Instagram. So you can find me over there. And, uh, yeah, shoot me a message. I'm happy to answer whatever questions or comments you might have, you know, haters are welcome too. you learn from them as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, please uh, get in touch and then we'll have all the information there on how we, uh, and we'll also have a Facebook page for the movie. Um, it's called out there and you'll probably, it'll probably be, there's a hashtag for it now called out there movie 2018. Um, so you can find all the information there and then we'll be, updating you on screenings and stuff um, as soon as we know about them. So, which should be happening fairly soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll be sure to keep people posted on Sweet here deal. and, you know, on, on my Instagrams and Facebooks and social medias. Yeah. That's the only way we talk now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why, like I really, like I was saying earlier, like I really have, have enjoyed um, doing the podcast just to have, Cause it's the only time I really like I, it's the only time you have these long form conversations across from somebody. Yeah. Um, for me anyway, I don't think yeah, it just doesn't happen anymore. You know what I, I think? Yeah. I mean, whether it's your podcast or like, you know, the bigger ones sort of particularly you were talking about Rogan, mm -hmm. um, like podcasts like those where they kind of just have people from all over the political spectrum just yeah. talking you know, I think where there has been some guests where I'm kind of like, why would you even have him on? It's just interesting to hear different perspectives and finding out really what makes the most sense. So I think what you're doing is really important. And I think that, you know, going forward, you know, try and just talk to everybody yeah. and try and listen. And yeah. that goes for the rest of people listening to this. Just have more conversations, you know, Absolutely. open up your heart, you know. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? 
Uh, no. <laughs> I think we, I think we we are uh, I think we're pretty much good. This is a great talk. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Likewise. Um, so I do a double tap sometimes. But do you have any final thoughts? Final people? thoughts. Uh, I can't. I can't think of it. <laughs> good try. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you. Um, as always, uh, I also look forward to seeing, seeing the film that we worked on together. Absolutely. Um, I think you're going to laugh a lot. That's, that's hopefully what I'm trying to get from this. Just laughter for sure. Nice. Well, uh, you know, thank you very much. Thank you, man. And yeah. End of transmission. So that was my conversation with Malik Connard. So I'll keep you posted for out there and what's happening with that. Um, in the show notes, you can see the preview for that. And of course the links to his Instagram and everything else. As always, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate your ears and your attentiveness and everything that you do. Um, even though I don't know what that is. You know, it's kind of just an out there thought for you. Um, anyway, I hope if you listen to this, if you're thinking about making movies or if you're thinking about uh, getting into acting or any whatever it is you're trying to do, I hope that this inspires you to um, get to it, take the steps, make it happen. Because um, we're out here doing it in New York and Bushwick. So. Do it, see it, be it, believe it. Um, and I'll talk to you on Thursday or no, this is Thursday. I'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good one. Peace.